Well, good morning. It is nice to see you all. Some of you look very summery and beachy, uh, stuck in your cars. Uh, it would be a great day to be at the beach. Uh, about uh, 10 years ago, actually, my wife and I uh, took a quick road trip down to, uh, to Huntington Beach, uh, and we were sitting on the pier um, in a restaurant, and we noticed this commotion that was happening uh, up the pier. And it was just this old man, uh, full out uh, running gear, headband, uh, uh, armbands, uh, short shorts to boot. Um, and he, he was hiding around a corner. And, and as a crowd of people would come through, he would run through them. He would kind of push his way through. If it was a couple holding hands, he, he, would, he would push through and run to this kind of uh, ribbon that was set up. And he would run through the ribbon and he'd put his hands in the air and pretend like he just won some kind of race and turn around at these people who were confused as to what was happening and, and kind of point at them like, you guys lost, I won, yay. Um, they were actually filming uh, Betty White's Off Their Rockers. It's a, a hidden camera show. So we got to watch all these different reactions, all, all the ways that people were just uh, confused or, or laughing or, or some of them upset that they would be touched by this guy. Um, Canada has its own version as well. Um, it's uh, just for laughs gags. And, and the one that's just etched into my memory is uh, of a parking lot with a, a porta potty in the middle of it. And uh, what would happen is an unsuspecting person would, would come in uh, to the porta potty, close the door, and a team of people would, would grab this, this mobile room, basically, and, and move it so that the door entered into this room. And it was set up like a boardroom, like an office space. And there was uh, a bunch of people around the table sitting. And as soon as the door opened, um, they, they would be just kind of confronted with these, these seven people or whatever, looking at them, wondering what they're doing. And some of them would laugh uh, and, and be really uncomfortable. Some of them actually went back into the porta potty thinking they took a wrong turn. Um, it, it, was, it was amazing just, just watching in a really weird situation. How, how will these people respond? How, how will these people act? What will they do or, or say to get out of this situation? Now, luckily for us as followers of, of Jesus, we're not given the gospel. We're not given the hope of, of forgiveness. We're not given the, the, the glory of eternal life with this thing of, of Jesus sending us out and going, I wonder, I wonder how they're going to respond. I wonder, I wonder how they're going to act. See, for us as, as Christians in our passage today, uh, Jesus is actually going to warn us of that in the, in the face of temptation and in the face of those awkward situations, uh, we are going to be tempted to respond in three different ways. If you have your Bibles, I'd welcome you to turn to Luke chapter 12. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 12. See, Jesus himself knows what it's like to deal with opposition and, and knows that he needs himself to be prepared about what he's going to do. He has the, the temptation story where, where Satan has come and, and he's tempted him. He knows that the disciples are going to face the same thing. And, and us too, as followers of Jesus, 2,000 years later, we are also going to put, be put in the places where we need to know how we're going to respond when, when temptation, when opposition, when, when those uncomfortable things happen in our lives. And so this is what the, the, the passage kind of gives us today, the, the, the hope that we, we have. Right now in our passage, we've looked at uh, chapter 11 the last two weeks uh, with these woes to the Pharisees and the scribes and the rulers of the people. Uh, Jesus understands what it means to, to face this opposition. He, he has a target on his, on his back. He knows that in a few short chapters, he's going to be arrested and, and he's going to be put on trial. He's going to be beaten, mocked, spit on, and, and ultimately killed. 
and he knows that it's going to follow along into his disciples' lives as well. He, he says it in John 15 verse 20 where he says, uh, you know, a servant isn't greater than their master. If they persecuted me, they'll also persecute you. So the crowds are growing. Opposition is getting more intense. And so in the midst of this, Jesus calls his disciples to himself and gives them three warnings. Three warnings that in the face of opposition, you, my disciples, will be tempted to hide, to put your fear in the wrong people and the wrong places, and ultimately you'll be, you'll be tempted to deny me. This is what he says in, in verse one. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. The first thing that we see, the first warning we have is that in the face of opposition, we will be tempted to hide. Now, Pharisees, we, we know this from this, this last couple of weeks, were the masters of, of fitting in, of, of looking good, of being acceptable, of being honored and, and glorified by the way that they lived, the way that they, they acted. Their, their outward performance was notable. They, I mean, Jesus even says that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you, you can't be saved. They, they followed every, every law they could. They, they made themselves a spectacle of following God on the outside. But the woes that we see from Jesus, and one of the reasons he had a, a target on his back now, is because their hearts were far from God. They looked good on the outside, but inside they were far from God. They neglected things like justice and mercy. Their hearts did not love God. But could the disciples... You know, these men and the, these women who had followed Jesus, who had left houses, had left work, had, had sold things to, to support him, had followed him all over the map. Could these people too deny and, and, and hide? And could they, could, they, could they fall away? Could they be those people too? Well, there's a couple stories that actually tell us that, yeah, that the disciples fell into this as well. This, this desire to put on an outward front, but that the heart was far from God. The first is actually Acts chapter 5. We see Ananias and Sapphira, these, these, um, these people who were part of the church, this couple. And what was happening in the church is people were, were selling their, their property to, to support the other people in the church. Um, you know, they were, they were hungry, they were sick, they, they were in need, and so people were selling their property, selling their, their possessions to, to give to others who, who needed it. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they, they had property, they had means, and so they, they took the property, they sold it. But instead of giving everything, they, they held some back. They, they lied to the church and they, they lied to the Holy Spirit, is what Peter says. They, they were so worried about being like those other people who were giving all they had. They wanted to, to look good more than they wanted to honor God. But it's not just, just them. I mean, Peter himself. In Galatians 2, it talks about this, this story where he's eating and he's, he's drinking. He's doing life and ministry with the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people. Him and Barnabas and a, and a bunch of them. And they're doing, doing life and they're, they're doing ministry and it's great. But then some, some Jews come from Jerusalem and, and they pull back from that ministry. They, they pull back from being with those, those people because they're, they're fearful of what these, these Jews from, from Jerusalem will think of them and the, the way that they're acting and the way they're, they're treating these Gentiles. You know, Peter, the, the guy who's sitting at Jesus' feet right now listening, he, he too fell into hypocrisy. 
there's going to come times in all of our lives where in order to protect our, our comfort, our, our status, the way, we, the way we're perceived, that, that, that we'll do things that, well, that are hypocritical. That on the outside look good, but on the inside, our hearts are far from, from God. We're all worried about how people are going are gonna to see us and, and, and what we could lose if, if people knew what we were really like. I came across a couple stories uh, of uh, Jerry DeWitt and, and Teresa McBain. They, they were leaders in their respective churches. They, um, they were pastors, actually, who, who were preaching Sunday in and out, uh, leading. And they were, they were Christians who, over the course of their lives, uh, started to disbelieve the gospel. And, and they actually uh, came out as, as rejecting the gospel. But they did it after, for many years, still preaching and being part of the church. Because they were so fearful of losing that their family and their friends. Of, of losing their jobs. Of losing their reputations. Of losing all this that they'd, they'd built up. But ultimately, God says, that's not what you should be most worried about. Because it's not going to work. And Jesus tells us why in verses 2 and 3. He says, Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you've whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Ultimately, it won't work because God sees everything. I mean, I, I thought as a kid that I could get away with some stuff. My, my dad was a principal, but he was a principal at another school, right? And so I, I, I kind of thought, hey, if, if I'm at this school, he's at that school, it'll, it'll be fine. I, I quickly found out uh, that just because my dad wasn't my principal, he really knew my principal. And I could get away with, with nothing, big or small, good or bad. My dad knew about it before I got home. Before I got the chance to even twist the truth or, or try and make something that wasn't real, real, he, he knew. There was no hiding anything from my dad. And I quickly learned there was, there was no point trying. Just like my dad knew everything I did before I got home, God says, I, I see everything. There's nothing that you can put on, no, nothing that you can do to, to hide or cover up. The things you do in the dark will be brought to light. The things that you do in secret will be, will be spoken of on the housetops. Everybody will know about it. There's nothing that we can be hiding. No act, no thought, no word that will not be brought to light. And for some of us, we, we think maybe, maybe I can hide until I die. Maybe, maybe I can die, like hide without anybody ever knowing what I've done. But we actually know that that's, that's not the case. Often these secrets that we've been living with and that we've been, that we've been trying to conceal, they, they eat us up and they, they destroy us. And when it comes out, it, it does so much, so much damage. We've been talking a little bit about James McDonald, this, this pastor in Chicago of Harvest Bible Fellowship where, uh, um, wow. What's the name of the pastor from Northview? Jeff Bucknam, thank you. Uh, Jeff Bucknam's going to that church to, uh, to take over because the, the ministry that he created, it, 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 was, it was great. Uh, like he had a radio program. He, he was speaking at conferences. He was writing books. He was preaching Sunday in and out. And yet the, the secret sin that he was dealing with destroyed his ministry. He, he was found out. And it, and it wrecked so much. So many relationships. So much trust. Even a guy like Ravi Zacharias, who, who lived his whole life, we thought that he was this upright, uh, great man. After his death, we find out that there's these allegations of sexual abuse. 
nothing is hidden that will not come to light. Nothing that we do in the dark won't be brought to light. Nothing that we do that we think is hidden will not be made known. Jesus warns us not to allow that, that the temporary, that the comforts that we think we have when we hide our sin and we are living a hypocritical life to outweigh the glory he has for us in eternity. So the question that we have to ask is, are we hiding? Are we, are we worried about people finding out what's really in our hearts and, and what's really in our, in our minds? What's, what's really going on behind closed doors? What, what people don't see? Are we worried about what people will know about us? Are we living a double life concerned more with looking good on the outside than being changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, by loving Jesus fully? If you're if you're feeling that, that you are hiding, repent. Like it's a great, it's a great time to repent, to confess that sin before it's found out. If you're not in community, uh, it's actually the easiest place to hide it, it is, is to, to have people see you, but never, never know you. Is there anybody who actually knows the, the sin that you struggle with, the temptations that you have, are you actually known by anybody? Do, do you know anybody? Are you in those kind of relationships? Because I'd, I'd call you to get into some community. Not putting up a front and, and trying to make people see you a certain way, but really being known. James 5 tells us just that, to confess our sins and to pray with one another so we can be healed or we can be saved from that sin that will lead to our death. This is the call for us as, as Christians. Jesus sees our hearts and yet he still loves us and calls us into relationship. A.W. Tozer says this, Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you the most. First thing we see is that in the face of opposition, we will be tempted to hide. But don't settle for anything less than the full acceptance of God. Keep reading with me. Verse four. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. The, the second thing that we see is that people will put their fear in the wrong place or in, in the wrong people in fear of what will happen to them. And there's, there's good reason for, for Jesus to warn his disciples of this. In, in his own life, we're going to see just in a, in a few short chapters that he is going to be, like I said, arrested. He's going to be put on a, a false mock trial. He, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. He's going to be spit on. He's going to be stripped naked. He is going to be killed on a cross. And it's not just him, it's his, it's his disciples and his, his followers. We see it with the, the apostles. 11 of the 12 of them will be put to death brutally. We see it in, in Stephen in Acts uh, 7 and 8. We, we, we see it, or 6 and 7. We see, we see it throughout the Bible that to be a follower of Jesus means the possibility of death, of, of beatings, of mockery. But it's not just in the Bible. There, there, there's a history that we have that we can look on of the, of the church over the last 2,000 years too. Someone like William Tyndale, who uh, was, was strangled and burned because he had 
he had taken the Bible uh, and, and the Greek and the Hebrew and he had translated it into English so people could understand. They could go and they could, they could read for themselves what the gospel was and what it meant and how they could follow and, and be in relationship with Jesus. Someone like uh, Magdalene of, of Nagasaki in the 17th century, she was a teenager, 15 years old. She became an interpreter and, and a disciple of some missionaries. Those missionaries were, were killed for their faith. So she followed uh, another couple of missionaries and they too were put to death for their faith. And finally she followed uh, the, the, another one, a fifth missionary who was also killed for their faith before she finally went to the authorities and confessed her, her belief in Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior and she was tortured for 13 days before she was killed. But all these people knew something. All these people believed that there was something far worse than death. Something, something far worse than what they could experience now in, in our human state. We can falsely believe that it's what we, what we taste and, and touch, what we smell, what we hear, what we see. That's all that matters. And we can lose sight of, of eternity, of something else that's coming. But Jesus warns us that we're to fear something greater than man. Someone whose power isn't contained to this life. This is what verse 5 says. But I warn you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he is killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. We're not supposed to, to, to fear man because there's only so much, so much they can do. But this idea of fearing God, it's uncomfortable for, for many, if, if not most. Like perfect love casts out fear, right? What, what do I have to fear if, if God loves me, if, if I'm called his friend, if I've, been, if I've been saved? But the idea of fear here it isn't this, I, I, don't, I don't want to be near you, I don't want to be around you, I'm, I'm so scared of what you're going to do to me, but this idea of awe, of seeing how great and, and powerful, how awesome God is. It's this idea of showing respect for him above everybody else. And that makes sense because we should be in awe and respect of a, of a God who is eternal in his, in his power, in his glory, in his might, in his, in his justice, in his judgments. We shouldn't be in awe and have utmost respect for man who is, is sinful and broken, who has no power in eternity to save or to judge. We need to see God's power. We need to see his justice. We need to see his judgment, which will remind us of the place that we have before God and fear him properly. And Jesus clearly teaches that, that he alone is the one who is going to judge. He alone is the one that we have to stand before and there is no greater punishment. He speaks of, of hell here. There's no greater punishment than an eternal separation from the goodness and the grace of God. Where we will be fully turned over to our sins and the wrath of God will be poured out on those who reject him. Most of us don't have to fear beatings. Most of us don't have to fear uh, being imprisoned or being killed for our faith. But maybe you felt the need to turn away from your faith. Maybe you, you felt the need not to, to stand up for what you believe in, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your kids' sports teams, what you, whatever it is, there, there are places where we are worried about what people think of us and what they will say. 
And it causes us to shrink back. It causes us to, to even walk away. Is it, is it worth trusting in a, in a God that we can't see who sent his son to die 2,000 years ago on a cross so that he could give us this forgiveness of sins? Is it, is it okay to believe that in this current, this current culture? What will people think of us if that's what our declaration of faith is? All of us know, though, that there are things worth suffering for, things worth working for, things worth uh, putting off temporary joy and fulfillment for so that something greater can come. Maybe for you it's, uh, it's music or, or dance or sports. For those of you who, who play an instrument, you, you know that it takes time and practice. If you play guitar or, or trumpet, you, you know that you have to put in the work so that it stops hurting when you do it. If you, if you dance, you, you know that you need to work up the, the strength in your, in your feet, in your legs, in your body, so that you can do what, what you want to do without, without it hurting. So that you can do it for extended periods of time, so that you can do it well. If you're here and you're, you're a business owner, an entrepreneur, you, you know that you've sacrificed the, the, the comfortable job, the, the well-paying job. You, you've, you've sacrificed that, that cushy thing in, in order to, to go after something that is greater. To, to go after something that will have a, a bigger return. You've worked the crazy hours. You've sacrificed things. All for the hope that something will come from our, our suffering, from our sacrifice, and we'll experience something greater. And Jesus tells us this, to count the cost of following him. He, he tells us, are you, are you willing to be outcast? Are, are you willing to be looked down upon? Are you willing to even follow Jesus to the point of death? Because there's a weight of glory that is awaiting us that we, we can't weigh out compared to anything else in this world. John Hooper is a, a bishop who lived during the Reformation. And before, before his death for trusting in Jesus, he said this. He said, life is sweet and death is bitter, but eternal life is more sweet and eternal death more bitter. That's, that's the truth of what Jesus was trying to say. Are you willing to follow him, whatever it means, whatever it costs? But Jesus takes a break now from his, his warnings. He gives us a little, uh, a little breath and he gives us a little hope, a little encouragement. He gives us a, a promise. This is what verses six and seven say. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them is forgotten before God? Why, even the hairs on your head are all numbered. So fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. Here's the hope that we have. There's, there's two passages that talk about sparrows. One says, uh, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And one says, aren't, aren't five sold for, four, for two pennies? Basically saying, uh, you know, two sparrows is worth a penny. Uh, four is worth two, but they're so cheap, we'll, we'll throw in a fifth one for free. They're, they're, they're not worth much at all. Not even a half a penny kind of thing. You, you, you wouldn't even charge somebody for that extra sparrow. And Jesus tells us, you're, you're worth more than them. He tells us that he provides and he cares for the sparrows. He knows when they, they live, when they die, when they're hungry, he provides for them. And he says, you're worth far more than that. He knows when we are, are born. He knows when we die. He knows when we're mocked, when we're imprisoned. And he cares. Ultimately, he says that we are worth the very son of God coming to earth to die 
to redeem us back in a relationship with God. He hasn't done that for the sparrows. He loves us. He cares for us and he knows us. He says, fear not Christian of what man can do to you for God cares for you and calls you friend and has that eternal plan for your glory. I, d- I don't have to wonder hard at the question, uh, would anybody really love me and accept me if they knew the, the deepest, darkest parts of my heart, my, my thought life, my desires, the things that I've said about them behind their backs? Would, it, would, anybody, would anybody love me? Because God does. And yet he still died for us and welcomed us as, as friends. And when we look at ourselves, we, we hopefully can see ourselves the way that John Bunyan did. He says this, I saw my sin, most barbarous and a filthy crime. And I had to conclude with great shame and astonishment that I had horribly abused the Holy Son of God. But I felt my soul greatly to love him and my heart to yearn for him, for I saw that he was still my friend. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, you're more sinful and flawed than you ever dared believe, but more accepted and loved than you ever dared hope. Take courage from the promise and the hope that Jesus gives because he, he gives us one final terrible warning. Although we are, we are loved, accepted, there's a third thing that we will be tempted to do and it's this. In the face of opposition, we will be tempted to deny Jesus. Read verses eight and nine with me. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the son of man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So Jesus takes them and and, and transports them away from the crowd, away from the busyness, away from the trampling. And he takes them to the the throne room of God. And he says, what's going to happen is in the future, when when you die, you you will stand before me. And the only thing that is protecting you from the wrath of God, from, from the judgment that you deserve, is your acknowledging of me. In, in putting your, your trust squarely in, in me and me alone. And if you deny me before men, I, I'll deny you. And if you acknowledge me before men, I, I will acknowledge you. You will be saved. But if we fear man and we desire comfort more than the acceptance, than the eternal life that comes through Jesus, it'll lead us to deny Jesus. The warning is very simple. If we deny him, he will deny us. And our only hope is to trust in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. Acts 4.12 says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. And Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge you for the angels. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you for the angels. Our passage so far has warned us that everything that we've ever tried to cover up, everything we've spoken, everything we've whispered in darkness and silence, all that will be, will be made known before Jesus. And what will our defense be? What will we say to be protected from the wrath that we justly deserved? We'll be condemned based on our own life. We'll be condemned based on our sin unless we are trusting in Jesus, the perfect finished work of Jesus on our behalf. And we make a good confession of that faith before God and before men. There's nothing, Jesus says, nothing that is worth uh, the denial before men. 
because of the consequences in eternity, which should lead us to reflect, to, to respond, to go, not with a snarky reply, not with a, not with a flippant reply, but, but to really question with, with, with self-examination of our hearts, have I, have I confessed Jesus? Have I, have I denied Jesus? In my life, around my, my friends, my family, my coworkers, around everybody, if I'm asked, am I making a confession of faith? Am I, am I living such a life that everybody knows if asked that I am a follower of Jesus? Or have I, have I, have I shied away? Have I, have I denied him? If we have denied Jesus, let me say there is still hope. Peter is, is the one that we can look to. The one who, who said, I'll never deny you. I'll never desert you. I'll never fall away from you. And yet three times he denied Jesus. And Jesus comes and he asks him and he restores him back into relationship again. And it changed his life. He, he made that good confession that will stand the rest of his life. And, and that same question comes to us. Have you made that good confession that will stand the rest of your life? Continues in verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Uh, people have tried to give a lot of different answers for this, what it means, uh, what is this blasphemy of the Spirit? But really what it is is a, a continuation from verse 9, a, a repeating of what he has just said in another way. He says this, the one who speaks against Jesus without fully understanding who he is and what he has done, the, the person of Jesus, the savior of the world, he will be forgiven. But the one who rejects him as savior after the Holy Spirit has opened your heart, opened your mind, that you have known Jesus as Lord and savior, after you have rejected and denied him, there is no more salvation. See, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to ultimately reject the truth about Jesus which means we're hopelessly lost in our sin, can't be saved. There's been many times in, in history that, that people have been, have been put in a place to, to deny Jesus. Some through, through the, the fear of death, imprisonment, torture. Sometimes it's just the threat of comfort and safety of, of our temporary happiness in this world. Yet we, what we see from these, these stories, what we see from these men and these women who have followed Jesus through, through mockery, through beatings, through torture, and, and through death, is this, this hope. It is this peace in the midst of everything that's going on because they know there's something greater coming. Look at, look at Stephen with me. In Acts uh, 6 and 7, he is kind of put on trial for his faith in in Jesus and the Holy Spirit works powerfully in him to share the gospel that nobody could ignore, nobody could misunderstand. And this is what it says at the very end in Acts 7:54. But he full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said, "Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of man standing at the right hand of God." But they, they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's 
last words are a powerful display of the power of, of the Holy Spirit and the life of Jesus being evident in him. That he could cry out who Jesus was, but also for the forgiveness of the people who were killing him. And that's how Jesus ends with a, another promise. More hope for his disciples and, and for us, us today. Yes, he's given us these three warnings in the, in, in the face of opposition. You'll be tempted to hide. You'll be tempted to put your fear in the wrong place and you'll be tempted to deny me. But this is what he says in verse 11 and 12. But when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Again, Jesus doesn't just leave us with warnings, but with a promise. And this is the hope that Jesus leaves us with, that he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will, he will never stop being present with us. He sends us the Holy Spirit that would empower us to go and live a life, to, to, to declare who Jesus is in all situations. In fact, Ray Ortland says, says it like this, if the weakest Christian in the world were suddenly the only one left, God could revive his church. That's the power of the Holy Spirit present in all of us as we go. So the question is, in the face of opposition, will we hide? Will we fear people? Will we fear man? And will we deny Jesus? Or through the power of the Holy Spirit and seeing the person of Jesus clearly, will we live unashamedly? Will we acknowledge Jesus to our friends and to our family to, to make the confession of faith? Will we live trusting that the Holy Spirit will help us to give us the words when we're put in those situations where we don't really know what to say, we, we, we don't know how to act or respond, that, that he will help us? This is the call of the disciple of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you, you don't send us out into the world unaware of the temptations that we'll fall into. Thank you that you do not leave us uh, to try to stumble our way th through this life, but you have you've given us clear promises. You've given us clear warnings. You've given us hope. You've given us your Holy Spirit to guide us and to be with us, to, to comfort us, to, to speak for us when we don't know what to say. Father, I pray that, that we would live unashamed, that, that we would live lives that are, that are open to the truth of the gospel, at work in us, saving us, that God, we wouldn't shy away, that we wouldn't be fearful of man and what they can do, but God, we would trust in your finished work through Jesus on our behalf and that that would be the thing that we confess. That would be the thing we put our hope in. That would be what gives us comfort and joy and peace. So Father, I pray for us that even as we go today, would you be convicting us of the places that we're living hypocritically? Would you convict us of, of the fears that we have? Would we repent? Would we turn? And would we, would we confess your name? Would we trust you even today as we go? We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.